Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And today's topic is uh, out of the book of Exodus and uh, Moses' writings uh, concerning turtle doves. And uh, it, we could, there's actually two different words that can be translated into dove in the Hebrew language, and we're going to look at at least one of them in detail. The other one pretty much means dove, but the word that they translate turtle dove doesn't always mean turtle dove. As a matter of fact, it means quite a few different things, which is why they spell it quite a few different ways. (laughs) But if you... I I was trying to do some calculations. Uh, Supposedly, there's a number of, of offerings that are listed as to be turtle doves. Or a young pigeon, which is also an interesting uh, term that they have because the first place we see it mentioned is in uh, Genesis 15 in reference to Abraham. And it's a completely different word. Now, we have to remember that Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, they're all written by the the same guy. So if he's... He's not like forgetting, uh, how did I spell pigeon? <laughs> or how did I spell dove? Uh, he's, he's very, very precise in the words that he chooses. And, and, and he has uh, patterns to the way in which he writes them out. I mean, you can actually count words and count letters. And you'll see patterns developing in the text. And so he's, uh, you know, one of these super geniuses or something that... Uh, he has written this out so uh, uniquely and mathematically even correct. And unfortunately, everybody who interprets it, just in the news program before the show, we heard that uh, PETA was uh, rewriting the Bible and rewriting Genesis. And of course, they have a very distorted idea. I talked to somebody just yesterday, never read anything in the Bible, didn't know anything about the Bible, didn't know anything about you know, altars, what are, what are altars? He had no knowledge of what uh, the Bible even talks about, which is understandable this day and age. But where the real problem develops is the people who do read the Bible and think they know what it is actually saying. <laughs> but they are actually doing absolutely the opposite of what Christ said to do. And what Moses said to do. And what Abraham was doing. They they don't know. They're absolutely uh, confused about the text. They don't know they're confused. They think they understand it. And, uh, of course, this was prophesied actually in the Bible. And, of course, we have whole sections of the Bible, the prophets and the minor prophets, talking about the fact that people were going to get it wrong. I mean, that was the whole thing. Jeremiah is trying to explain to them. Isaac is trying to explain to them. Elijah is trying to explain to people. They got it wrong. And, of course, when Jesus comes, he's telling the Pharisees, you got it wrong. 
what what you're doing is not going to bear fruit. It's it's actually going to cause the people to go back into the bondage of Egypt. It's going to cause them to become, you know, merchandise. It's going to curse their children because of their false interpretation of the biblical text. So, I, this lowly shepherd out here in the middle of the desert, come along and say, that's not what it means. It means something different. (laughs) And, of course, when I was sent on this mission by the Spirit that that I desired to dwell in me, uh, I said, nobody's going to believe me. <laughs> of course, that's the, that's the same story that Moses was saying, that uh, God said, nobody's going to believe me. Or he says to God that nobody's going to believe me. And so, or God gives Moses some extra tools and, and uh, means by which he can impress the people, his staff, and the ability to perform certain miracles and everything. But Jesus kind of plays that down. Now, Jesus had those abilities as well. He could heal people and, and uh, control demons. And uh, supposedly, I mean, that's what, I mean, whether you want to call it mental illness or whatever, the spirit of that mental illness, um, he could fix that. He could drive that out. He could set things in order. And so that the person was no longer manifesting these things that looked like demonic possession. So, what do I have? Well, I also know that Jesus said that blessed are those who believe without signs and wonders. So right now, a lot of people have the opportunity to hear what, you know, that God is giving me to share with you. And you can believe it or not believe it based on signs and wonders. or But I don't have any signs and wonders, so I just tell you what I see. I share with you what God shows me. And you're going to have to look deep into your heart and decide whether or not you believe in what God is sharing with me. And I am sharing with you. See if it makes any sense. I was talking to somebody just two days ago. And they were talking about everything that I was saying makes so much sense. And they were, they had been steeped and raised in Orthodox religion. And now what I say makes sense and what they had been told before doesn't make any sense. So what is actually true and what is not true? Well, that that is going to be for each of us to decide in our own hearts. And that's one of the things that is very obvious. Uh, not to everybody. <laughs> I'm still going through Jordan Peterson's uh, symposium recordings. And uh, oh, was listening to 16. I didn't get very far because I've been working on uh, our page on turtle doves. Which uh, explains... In pretty good detail. I mean, it's expanding constantly. It will expand more during and after this program. As a matter of fact, I actually, while I was sitting here talking with you, I changed a number of things right away on the first page. So, uh, it's important that the Holy Spirit, and this is what I actually told several stories to people last night uh, about incidences that I had dealing with livestock. 
talk about PETA. I'm, I raise sheep and cows. I'm a herdsman. I'm a shepherd of flocks. And, of course, David was a shepherd of flocks. But then he ended up using what he learned as a shepherd of flocks to go out there and defeat Goliath. Well, today's Goliath is is modern religion. It has got everybody intimidated, swallowed up, confused, so that they believe a lie. Which, again, it tells us in the Bible that there would be a strong delusion sent. And that is being sent to you through modern religion. And then modern religion rides the back of modern politics. They get special privileges. The the modern religion being the modern church, which is not anything like the early church, which we show in dozens of articles, hundreds of recordings, what the early church was doing, which you could you can see in the Bible. If you read Acts, they were taking care of all the social welfare of the people that were Christians that had signed up for Christianity, so to speak, with the baptism of John the Baptist and the apostles. And they had set up a system of social welfare through the church, through the Corbin of Christ, through Corbin meaning sacrifice, through the sacrifice of Christ, which was the sacrifice of every man who gives of himself in love and charity so that others can survive the difficulties of the world, which has been a problem facing mankind for thousands and thousands of years. We see it in in Sumer. We see it in Assyria. We see it in Babylon. We also see it with Abraham. And we see it with Moses. And we see it with Jesus Christ. But one of the, the greatest lies or source of confusion today is the idea that the altars of stone were piles of rocks and that they burnt up sheep on those piles of rocks and they burnt up vegetables and they burnt up fruit offerings and they burnt up grain offerings because there are there is a grain offering that is a burnt offering a meat offering which means can mean grain offerings, often translated grain offering. And burning that up on a pile of stones was making God happy. And this was uniting all of Israel. It united all all the people round about Abraham because they all burned up sheep together. And this is this is part of the lie. Of course now when I put it that way, that people would drop everything they were doing, they would arm themselves, they would get their swords and their sharpened implements and they would run out across the desert, leaving their where their home is and leaving sometimes their flocks and their families to run out and join an army being put together by Abraham overnight so that they could go out and fight kings and armies that weren't even attacking them. They were going to go out and fight these armies and defeat them in one night. And they did this because they had created the social bonds that only come when you pile up stones and burn up sheep together. Which, of course, is nonsense. Absolute, utter nonsense. How could anybody even believe that that would unite 
people so that they would risk everything, risk their lives, leave their homes, to go in and charge against an army, to defeat that army who just defeated several city-states. And you were going to do that because you had the commonality of we all burn up sheep together on piles of dead stone. Do you really believe that? Can you really imagine that to be true? Well, of course, it's not true. It's not what the Bible says. There's nowhere in the Bible where it tells you to pile up dead stones, burn up sheep to make God happy. That's the good news. For a lot of the people that thought, you know, Peter should love that. <laughs> Except Peter doesn't want you to cook him and fry him and, and eat him either. But uh, then Peter has its own delusions. You know, because they don't mind eating one another. They don't mind taking a bite out of one another. I can guarantee you that if you went and interviewed Peter people all over, how many of them are okay with taking social welfare? From the government. You know, food stamps. Social Security. Medicare, Medicaid. You know, WIC programs. Free education. I'm sure they're all for all those things. I don't think you're going to find a lot of... Well, you might find some homeschoolers amongst the the, uh, PETA people. But uh, you're also going to find socialists. Amongst the Peter people. So they don't mind eating one another. They just don't want to eat cheap meat. <laughs> the thing is, if you have no shepherds, I can guarantee you also that if you went out and foraged amongst the Peter people, you would find very few that would be with me in a snowstorm at 2 o'clock in the morning with their hand up a cow trying to save it because one of the twins is coming backwards and one of them is coming frontwards and they're both trying to come out at the same time. And so you have to push one back in to save the other. And then you then you get to pull the other one out. I've been there, done that. And uh up to my not my elbow <laughs> up to my armpit inside of a cow to save her. Now I did eat those two calves when they finally grew up. <laughs> we named them Mark and Richard. And uh but they were steers. And, you know, why were they always killing oxes? And this is one of the things, the same word that can be translated turtle dove can also be translated ox. And an ox is really a castrated bull calf. And and you may castrate it late because you're trying to get it to grow up to a certain size so it can pull a cart. It can do work. And it can keep you alive. And you can eat it. And... It can carry stuff for you and it become a beast of burden for you and it can treadeth out the grain. Don't muzzle the ox that treadeth out the grain because they would actually have the the ox walking over the grain <laughs> to to thrash it, to break the husks off of it so that they could winnow it and and scatter the the uh fluff and chaff away from the grain so that you could store it and it could keep you alive. So the ox is working to keep you alive, but you don't muzzle the ox. You you let the ox eat freely because he's doing the work. But the statement, do not muzzle the ox, has nothing to do with the ox. 
It's true, you don't muzzle the ox. But it has nothing to do with the ox. It has to do with not muzzling the people who work with you, the people in your community, not taking, not keeping them from eating freely at what they produce. That's what, that's what the ox is doing. He's producing grain clean of chaff. And so you don't muzzle him. Well, the guy laboring in the, in the business next to your business, in the business down the street, in the business across the street, you don't muzzle him. You let him keep all that he treadeth out. All that, all the work that he does, he gets to share in that without muzzling him, without restricting him. You put a muzzle on him, he can't eat. He can't choose to eat. Now he's not going to eat all that grain anyway. But you don't muzzle him. And of course the statement that Moses makes about not muzzling the ox, which we also see in the New Testament, has nothing to do with the ox. They already know you don't muzzle the ox. You muzzle the ox. And that ox is not going to do the work. He's going to balk at it. Now, some people probably did in those days, but uh, Moses is saying that to tell you something. The same as when we, we talked about you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Has nothing to do with a kid goat. Has nothing to do with the mother and her milk. Has nothing to do with letting meat touch milk. So, like I said, the good news is cheeseburgers are still okay. Pizza is still okay. Because <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with milk and meat. It's metaphors. And so, turtle dove. The word that we see translated turtle dove which I say, say is spelled many, many different ways, and we'll look at some of those different ways that it's spelled, is, has nothing to do with the dove. Not really. It doesn't really have any, you know, some of them. Yeah, there are several spellings. So sometimes they are talking about a dove, and you can call it a turtle dove. But it's a completely different word than the common word that Moses uses for the word dove. And the word young pigeon... It isn't a pigeon, it's a young bird. It's, that's all the word means, young bird. It has nothing to do with, you get a turtle dove over here and you get a young pigeon over here. But they translate it, I, I believe, I'm, I'm guessing at motives, they translate the one turtle dove and the other one young pigeon. And of course, again, in Genesis you have a completely different word for young pigeon than you'll see when you see turtle dove and young pigeon mentioned elsewhere by Moses. He's not talking about the same thing. So you have to look at the context to know what is he really talking about. And in that Genesis 15.9 quote, it, it will give us a hint. If we have some knowledge of the history up into Moses and beyond, and that will give us insight into our own knowledge of the world around us, which is why public education, I remember, I remember the, I don't remember the date <laughs> in the year, but I remember what I was doing the year they took history out of the local public school. And I, I listened to the arguments. Some people thought, well, it doesn't matter. And some people thought, oh, it's really a good idea to take history out. And some people complained. But nobody really understood what was going on because if you don't know history, you're going to repeat the same mistakes of history. And if you don't know what the Bible is saying, you'll be just as vulnerable to those same 
mistakes of history because the Bible is telling you about your history. But people have changed the meaning of words. Words like religion. You know, just like we talked about. There's lots of different articles now we have. You can look up the article on breaches. The people were supposed to sow the breaches of the people. Uh, of the Levites. No. Had nothing to do with their underwear. Their nakedness had nothing to do with... And, and the going up by steps had nothing to do with people down there. Yeah, I don't care how steep the steps are. If they're steps. You're, you're not going to be able to look up their... Their robes to see their nakedness. <laughs> Unless you're bending your head down and looking upward. They're just not that steep. And they're out in the middle of the desert. There's no, there's no steps like that. Why are they making up these rules about going up by steps and sewing underwear? They're not. Not have anything to do with their underwear. And the altars of stone didn't have anything to do with rocks. Dead rocks piled up. And the bird offerings had nothing to do with burning up sheep and turtle doves. Or grain. Or any of the other things that you bring as an offering. They're metaphors. They're telling you how to create a social safety net. Based on faith, hope, and charity. That's what Moses was teaching. That's what Jesus was teaching. That's what Abraham was teaching the people around about him. But... It's not what the modern church teaches. Modern church teaches, accept my doctrine. It's not sound doctrine. But accept my doctrine. And they'll tell you why it is sound. They'll tell you why you should believe it. But it's not true. So what is sound doctrine? So if I tell you today what sound doctrine really looks like, and why I say this is what sound doctrine really looks like, will you see it? I have no idea. But in your heart, you're going to have to take a look. Is it okay? If you're a Christian, like just say you're a Christian, and Jesus said that you were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors because they give you benefits. Lots and lots of benefits. But you're not to be like them. You tell me, does your church tell you that it's okay to go to men who exercise authority, men of government who exercise authority one over the other, who take away from your neighbor so that they can give you free stuff? Does your church say that's okay? Or is your church trying to be the social safety net of the people that attend your church without going to the men who exercise authority one over the other? Because... If you're going to the man who exercised authority, one over the other, you're doing contrary to what Christ said to do. You're actually doing the opposite of what Christ said to do. You're not a doer of the work. You're doing contrary to Christ. You may be doing according to Caesar, but not according to Christ. But we're going to look at this. We'll go through it step by step when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So I, I told you I would talk to you about this turtle dove thing and, and try to get it clear in your mind. And if you go to Genesis 15:9, and Moses, uh, the Moses that wrote all these texts, wrote about Abraham, who was brought out of Ur 
of the Chaldees to receive a dominion in the land. And uh, the word land there actually can be translated earth is one of the few words that could be translated earth. But dominion of the earth. And of course, who had dominion of the earth then? Adam and Eve had dominion of the earth at one time, but a lot of time had passed before we get to the point where we're dealing with Adam and Eve. <laughs> so, so, you know, there had been Jonathan at uh, Jordan Peterson's symposium was talking about that there's this, this pattern where you're in the garden and you disobey God and then you, you leave the garden because, you know, he didn't go into this much detail, but he's, he's showing a chronology of history where, where they fled the garden and then there was, uh, this false idolatry and there was giants in the land and, and then the flood came and then on the other side of the flood, we had this, uh, new beginning. And people get, began to come out. And, of course, there was sacrifice even then. You know, we're told that there were only eight people on the ark. That's another whole topic of uh, that could end up being heresy. Uh, that uh, there, the people multiplied after coming out of the ark. Millions upon millions of people perished. Animals perished. Trees. Vegetation. Destroyed under this entire wall of water that covered the land everywhere that that Noah could see. And yet people survived and started again. And they eventually built city-states. And we see those city-states in history. Sumer, uh, Babylon, all these different city-states in Syria and how they operated. And it's very interesting, you know, so much of the truth of history has been deleted. Like I said, they took took the books out of the school, but long before they took the books out of the school, we have articles and programs on this, that there were wealthy men conspiring to change the way in which people viewed history. They planned to change the way in which you viewed history. And they began a program that you know, I originally uncovered by just reading history books and said, what is the deal? What happened to this stuff? What happened to that stuff? Why is that not mentioned anymore? Why do they not relate that information anymore? And uh, then evidently, you know, I was seeing it pretty far back. But evidently in 1954, somebody began to uncover this through a separate means of going and actually reading the minutes of these rich men's when they gathered. They kept minutes of their meetings and they went and read those. And of course, some people had inside knowledge to begin with. And they discovered that philanthropic organizations have been working for years and they chronologically laid out the history of this to change the way in which Americans and the people of the world viewed their own history. And you could go back and you can look at that. You look up Reese Commission at uh, Preparing You. We have articles on it. We have videos that you can watch of people who were a part of the investigation and what they uncovered. That they were trying to change the way in which we viewed history. What were they trying to remove 
from the common knowledge of the people so that you would not know. Well, that that began back in 1908, 1919, 1920s, 1930s, 1945. That was all going on. I didn't start studying history until... I was trying to think, probably 1954 and 1955, 56. Once I learned to read, I would actually read lots of things. I was a slow reader, but I would be drawn to pick up a book. My older brothers had books. They went, we, they all went to private schools. And my older brothers left their books laying around and I'd pick them up and I would read. I'd big one for reading the captions under pictures at that time. And I would get a gist of what was going on. I would hear them talking about what they were having to study. And I was beginning to see things, patterns and things. And then I had to teach my own kids eventually. I would teach my own kids out here on the desert. And so I was gathering history books all the way back to 1800s. I got the history books go all the way back to the 1800s, a lot in the early 1900s. And they're different. They say different things about history. And of course, your whole 1619 project is to change the way in which people view history. Of course, they're claiming to tell you the truth, and they're claiming that all the other history books were lies. Well, by the time the 1619 Project come out, a lot of the other history books were lies, mostly by omission, mostly by leaving stuff out. But what's happening, the phenomenon that's happening that I want to bring to everybody's attention because it occurred to me this morning, actually I've, I've kind of been seeing it right along, but that one of the sources that you'll see me quoting, I mean, I quote, quote lots of sources, is actually the liberal media. They're going back and looking at places like Sumer. I have an article up on Sumer now. And uh, saying, look, it was a social welfare state where the government provided benefits for the people. Grain, food, things, you know, care. And they had the these... Sumerian gods and goddesses that were providing these benefits to the people. Because they were a social welfare state. So, yeah, those were great civilizations. And that's why we should do it today. And I quote on, on our page on Sumer, I quote the New York Times. <laughs> so, <laughs> that... Uh, where a guy writes an article about the fact that this was what they were doing. And he's absolutely right. He's telling you history. That the dove goddess of Sumeria, <laughs> yes, the dove goddess of the Sumeria, where you, where you see the goddess, and I have a picture now on our page on turtle doves, where the, the dove goddess is holding the dove. And, and you see what looks like almost like monkeys but they're like supposedly like men down at her feet at least one of them looks like a monkey <laughs> and when i look at the relief it's pretty war it's it's not as smooth as as it probably was originally 
but it almost looked like there's a tail coming up from the one on the right. And his ribs are showing. He's hungry. And the other one is covering his face. And then there's two other faces up above that that don't quite look like monkeys, but don't look like the goddess, the dove goddess either. But she's holding that dove. And she has this layered skirt that she's wearing. What is that all about? What are the symbols representing? Because that's what they had was symbols. There's actually several symbols on this one uh, relief that I, I'm showing there. And I won't go into all of them. Uh, but she was the goddess of welfare. She was also the goddess of fertility. Because they wanted the people to prosper. So they wanted to take care of the needy of the people. But what happened to Sumer? Where did it go? <laughs> it lasted for quite a while in many different stages. Like I, I could imagine that originally the the temples that they set up were funded by charity. That, that's very possible. They certainly were in Rome, which we have a lot more of the history of Rome. That was not only was there charity uh, funding the welfare system that was run through their temples. But the army was funded by charity as well. It wasn't funded by taxes. When Rome was rising to its uh, position of power in the world, it was mostly supported through what they called the hearths, which were families and groups of families. And then they have developed this thing called the equestrians and everything. But it was a network of the tens, hundreds, and thousands, often the twelves. And 144,000s, because that was a pattern that was more common in, in the Roman era. But it's basically that idea of ten families gathering together and helping one another. And then they gather together in groups of 100 or 144 and help one another. And in the case of being attacked or if there's a big fire, uh, if there's a flood... Because there were floods. There were floods that, which is why Rome ended up where it was. There was a big flood and they had to move up inland. <laughs> and, and then we talk, I've told the story about how Tiberius gathered the army together to go up and put out a fire that was occurring at about the time of Jesus Christ. Way up north, it was so bright. It was bright in the sky. The whole sky was lit up. You could read a print at night in Roman, the Roman city from the light that was coming from the sky. And he thought, Tiberius thought it was a fire. But it was the aurora borealis that was occurring at the particular time of Christ. There was an aurora the other night. I could see it. I was out on the desert and I could see the aurora glowing down here in southern Oregon. Not as big as I've seen them in the past and not as big as you'll see in the future, but part of our history, part of the reality of the world around us, if we're willing to see it, if we're willing to look at it, if we're willing to perceive the world around us. But we should also see what history learned from that world around us. And, and what what was going on back in those days of Jesus Christ, of Moses, of 
these historical figures that we hear talked about in Scripture. So, we have this uh, goddess in Babylon, in, in, in Sumer, it's also in Babylon, that is taking care of the social welfare. And it, it must be true because it was in the New York Times. <laughs> they wrote it in the New York Times. They didn't know that we need to keep that a secret. We need to keep that a secret so that nobody will see what's really going on. Because they were putting it in the New York Times because they want us to have welfare through the state. But Jesus said, no. Not to the government. Not to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. One over the other. Who has the symbol of a dove. Now, Christians have a symbol of a dove. They talk about it and they use a real word that means dove. But it's representing the Holy Spirit that is supposed to dwell in the hearts of every man. And that Holy Spirit wants to take care of one another through charity, through faith, hope, and charity. But the dove of the goddess of Sumer, which if you're if you're on our page, Turtle Dove, you can reload that. And now the word Sumerian over there will take you to the article about Sumer. So you can see the other images that I have <laughs> and the other stuff that I've quoted from these articles so that you'll see that these uh, that the, these gods that exercise authority one over the other and are taking care of the needy of their society through force are going to produce something different than what you want. They're going to produce a system where everybody is back in the bondage of Egypt. See, Moses was taking the people out of the bondage of Egypt. And this is another thing that I saw in the Jordan Peterson deal where they they said that they had to have slavery, again from Jonathan, uh, and so they had to have rules regulating slavery because there was no social safety net in those days. And that just shocked me that he could actually say that out loud amongst an entire table full of scholars. And nobody said, what do you mean they had no social safety net? Sumer had a social safety net. Babylon had a social safety net. Nimrod was a mighty provider of the people before the Lord, but he also exercised authority one over the other. The reason they went into bondage in Egypt was because they had to depend upon the social safety net set up by Pharaoh through the temples of Egypt that had granaries to provide for the needy when there was famine in the land, when there was difficulty in the land, when they were having trouble in the, the land. And that's how they went into bondage, was the social safety net. Now, they're not going to tell you that in the New York Times article. (laughs) But they're also not telling you that in a symposium full of religious scholars. They don't see that. And they're talking about the altars of Moses and the altars of Abraham. As if that is not actually representing a social safety net. And for those of you who have not been following along, the same word for a gathering of stones... In Hebrew, also means a gathering of friends. 
and your, and the share that the the Levites are supposed to get, because the Levites were the gathering of friends, the friends of God, friends of mankind. And when you gave them your offering that was burnt up to you, their portion was the kidney. That's what it says in the Bible. Their portion was the kidney and the kidney fat. Except for the same exact word for kidney and kidney fat. Means reins of control. It's even translated reins in other places of the Bible. They don't even give it another number. You know, it, it is literally means reins of control. So the share that the Levite gets is he is now in control of your offering. He can redistribute it amongst the people. And by doing so creates the social bonds of the people and binds the people together while they still remain free. But what you saw with the golden calf, and this is one of the interesting things that, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson misses in his episode 16. He's saying, well, talking about the golden calf as if it's idolatry. What was the golden calf? It was a common purse. All their gold, their silver they seem to still have, but their gold was now in the golden calf. It was a common purse. And the Bible tells us about a common purse. I didn't hear any of these religious scholars mentioning the fact that the golden calf is a common purse where everybody's gold is in one place now. It's not in their pockets anymore. It's in the golden calf. They don't have the gold anymore. The theocratic state, the theocracy has their gold. And it binds them together now because their wealth is in that. We have to defend the golden calf. If somebody comes to steal it, we have to fight to defend it. But that's not the bonds of the kingdom of God. The bonds of the kingdom of God come from a social welfare state based on charity. That you go to church because, you know, if I don't go to church and give when I need help, I won't have any place to go but to the men who exercise authority. And for those of you who don't like religious references all the time, you say, oh, he's just talking about religion and Bible and everything. Except for religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. And pure religion is doing it unspotted by the men who exercise authority one over the other. Christians aren't doing that. Jews aren't doing that. Muslims aren't doing that. They're doing the opposite. Because their dove is not the Holy Spirit. Their dove is the turtle dove. So, back to uh, Genesis 15.9. So we read in, in, in that, so I've kind of set the scene a little bit. Uh, of Moses writing this story about Abraham and, and this word land is literally means earth and, and, and the word inherit re- literally means possess and Abraham who at, at that time was called Abram and there's reasons for that and you have to just go listen to our other articles to find that at the time wants a sign that he will know that he will inherit the earth. He, he seems to be told to perform some sort of bizarre ritual by Moses. And uh, he describes the scene in this Genesis 
Well, we can start with 15.9. And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat three years old and a ram three years old and a turtle dove, which is this word uh, tov, vav, resh, normally. But in this particular place, Moses writes it, spells it differently. He spells it vav, tav, resh. He puts the vav first. And remember vav is a, vav can sometimes come first in a word when it's, it can mean like and. But if it means and there, then the word that he's putting there is actually tav, resh. And tav has to do with faith and resh has to do with power. And then it says young pigeon. And there's a unique word there also for young pigeon. But we won't go into all that right now. We'll go through this a little bit at a time. But in verse 10 he says, And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. Now what he's talking about is actually severing the animals. Supposedly this is what we're told. Now, I could be wrong about that. They could be wrong about that. But we'll go with their interpretation. That he divided this heifer. Uh, Three years old just means mature. Doesn't necessarily mean that they had to be exactly three years old. They're mature, but they're not necessarily uh, been used up. They're not old. They're at their prime. And uh, so you got this heifer, female, she-goat. Uh, but the last one says a ram, and that's the way they translate it. We won't go into and argue that point at this time. And this turtle dove, but he doesn't divide the turtle dove. He just lays them down. And then, then more bizarre stuff. <laughs> so, so what, what, what does all these things mean? Well, there's numerous commentaries on this, and they talk about the, the three is the sacred number and it denotes a perfection uh, of the victim and and so it's not just mature but it's it's really in good shape and it's it's at its prime so to speak so these are unblemished sacrifices uh, but the, then he goes on and he talks about the fact that when he's got these things laid out vultures come to feed on these carcasses these sacrifices that are just laying out there, which is reasonable. But he drives off those scavengers, the scavengers of the world who would just come and freely feed. He protects them. He protects the carcasses. Now, what 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 are these carcasses representing? But Abraham's protecting them. Now, we'll see how Abraham goes and protects his nephew and saves the people of Sodom from being carried off into bondage. And he and he doesn't turn them into slaves like they were when they were being carried off into bondage. And and the king comes back and wants these people to come back to his city state and fund his city state because it's running like Sumer. It's operating like Sumer operates. Like like FDR would operate it, like LBJ would operate it. To give opportunities to people like Cloward and Piven. 
So you can go look all those things up at preparing you to find out what I'm talking about if you don't know. But he he doesn't he doesn't you know the the king says you you can keep the stuff, but give me the people. Well, he's bribing Moses to give him back the people that he couldn't protect. And Moses says, I'm not going to take any of the stuff, not one dime, not one buckle. He's also not going to take the people. They can go back if they want. He's setting the captives free. Not just from the kings that took them away, but he's also setting them free from the king of Sodom. They can, they can stay with Moses, follow the ways of Moses, and build altars like Moses was building. And all the men round about Moses was building. Oh, excuse me, I'm saying Moses. Abraham was building. They're the same kind of altars in both. They they could stay with Abraham and, and build his altars and burn up sheep together, right? No. Set up a system of social welfare that doesn't make you a human resource. Doesn't make you merchandise. Doesn't snare you in captivity. And doesn't curse your children. So if you start understanding these terms, and I'm repeating them over and over again, you'll understand what this is all about. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're at this point where Abram has chased off the scavengers. And actually, as I was looking at these, basically, I, I put down notes when I start these pages, and then I start filling in, and then I'm going and looking at the text, and looking at the Hebrew, and or the Greek, and, and then asking in my heart, so what do I need to tell people about? <laughs> what do I need to show them? And some things I say, well, I'll just tell them on the program. And then later on, when after I do the, the program, then I go back, and sometimes I'll put in links. And I can imagine myself putting in a link there. It says right now on that page, protecting the sacrifice is also symbolic. As we see Abram drive off the scavengers who come to feed on the carcasses as if they are entitled to them. Now, I remember when I wrote that word entitled. I was led to put that word there. But I didn't make it a link to an article. But I could imagine myself making it a link to an article on entitlements. Because that's who the scavengers represent. Uh, they're feeding on, they're biting on the carcasses. They're taking chunks of meat out of the carcasses. Just like those people from PETA. They won't eat meat. I knew knew a guy. I don't know that he was Peter, but he he would not. He was a vegetarian. He would not eat any meat, and so, but he was getting a free turkey from the welfare office where he was collecting welfare. They somehow or other they said, well, you can go down get this food share, and because it was Thanksgiving, and they, they gave him this big turkey, along with a lot of the other things that go along with that Thanksgiving meal, and, and a big box. And I had helped him out many times. He'd always seem to run out of gas nearby or something. <laughs> and I would find him stranded on the side of the road and help him out. And um, uh, he wanted to give me the turkey because he didn't eat meat. 
And, you know, I, I thought about that. I told them flat out. I said, well, you do eat meat. And he says, no, no, I don't eat any meat at all. And he says, well, no, you collect welfare. That's that's the blood and flesh of your neighbor is financing that welfare system. The government's not financing it. They're taking away from your neighbor. They're taking away his sweat, his toil, his labor, his value. And they're taking it away from him. And you're eating it. Now, I'm not going to begrudge you if you think you need it. But let's call it what it is. That that guy was the scavenger of society. You want to see scavengers today? I talked to somebody from San Francisco yesterday. I talked to somebody who uh, worked on a project in Irving, California. And they were both telling me the same thing that they saw when they were down there. The project in Irving, California was doing these subterranean tunnel digging. He's the the health advisor for the crew that digs these giant tunnels under the ground that you can drive through. (laughs) And uh, Elon Musk is digging those as well. But he was in Irving, California, working for uh, one of these tunneling outfits, you know. And uh, he says, I have to take that work because it pays so good, but he's in charge of... They have to decompress when they come up out of the tunnel because it's so so much pressure down there in the tunnel because they're so much lower, so deep underground. So just to let you know, they are really digging tunnels under the ground everywhere all over the United States and the world. (laughs) And they have huge tunnels and you can drive in them and you can drive from one state to the next through these tunnels and everything. And they're also doing other things in those tunnels to protect themselves. But they're not interested in protecting you. But uh, God is, but you have to start doing what God says. And you can't be those scavengers feeding on the carcass and expect me to tell you where God's refuge is. <laughs> so, anyway, because you're not entitled. I have to drive off the scavengers. But anyway, they were telling me, what they see when they walk in these cities, San Francisco, Irving, other places. And uh, it's he says you have to be careful, you know, like when you go to the airport, he flies down, that you don't step in human excrement when walking from your cab to the airport. Because it's everywhere. There are people laying everywhere, needles laying everywhere in the streets. You have to watch where you step because there's urine, people urinating right in front of you on the streets, right in, in in major metropolitan areas. How are they surviving? Well, they're they're feeding on the carcasses that are represented, are, uh, that these carcasses of Abraham are representing. The the, the heifer, the the, the she goat. The ram, they're representing systems that existed at that time. And so are the turtle doves. And so what happens? All of a sudden, Abram goes into a deep sleep. They have a particular word there. Water demma. Uh, which is, they, they translate into deep sleep. And, and they refer to it as horror of great darkness. So, Somehow, this is like a spiritual trance. We call it an induced trance, or they're 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 having a vision. 
But Abram goes into this deep sleep, this horror of great darkness as it's translated. And he has some sort of dream or vision or something. And they describe it in the text. You know, so, I mean, if we go back to the individual, start with Genesis, we already read Genesis 15.10, but 15.11, and when the fowls came down upon the carcass, Abram drove them away. They weren't going to be able to eat of that sacrifice. And today, you know, the scavengers of the world are encouraged they're to eat of the sacrifice of the people. That's taken away by men who exercise authority one over the other. Which is why you see the, all of society crumbling around. Which is where Sumer and these other places went. They eventually decayed. They couldn't even defend themselves. They couldn't even sustain themselves. The people turned into perfect savages. And they devoured one another. And all the profit went out of business. And their economies collapsed. And eventually they couldn't even fix their own creation. But Genesis 15.12 goes on to say, And when the sun was going down, this deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said, God said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them in that land and they shall afflict them 400 years. He's talking about the bondage of of Egypt, the captivity of Egypt. And somehow or other this is related to what we've just seen laid out there before that, where the scavengers were driven off by Abram. So what he's seeing is related to that. That bondage in Egypt. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. So that's the story that is being predicted by what Moses is writing about Abraham in this vision. Now you can say, well... Yeah, Moses made that up. There was no dream. There was no Abraham. You could say all that. Or you can wonder, is there wisdom somewhere in what Moses is writing that I need to understand? This is the way he's relating this story with the story of Abram. But in Genesis 17, we see, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And of course, the turtle dove was not in pieces. So, but it passed, so that turtle dove was separate now. It passed this burning object that, this lamp in the darkness passed between those carcasses and between Abram and the turtle dove. So, how do you interpret that? And that that's a big thing in uh, in the Bible, the interpretation of dreams and visions. So I'm telling you, what he's talking about is the pillar of fire. 
and the pillar of light at night. It looked like light at night, and it looked like a, you know, a pillar of fire and light at, at night, but a pillar of smoke during the day. But this was in the darkness, so he sees it as something like, like a furnace would be glowing, moved between the sacrifices so that they were able to take a spoil from Egypt. Because those things were divided. But the turtle dove was completely divided away from them. It was not a part. It did not go with them. It was separated from them by the pillar of fire. That's what he was seeing in his dream. Now, if you read it in the Hebrew, it might be a little bit clearer. But then again, if you're, if you've been going to the same religious, religious scholars that were teaching the people at the symposium of Jordan Peterson, you may not get it because they don't seem to be getting it. <laughs> so, but we'll talk more about them later when we review their entire uh, series. But this is this is what the prophecy is. You see, if you if you know these figurines, these statues with doves, this dove goddess of Sumeria and Babylon and, and Mesopotamia, these gods and goddesses that are supplying welfare for the people through men who exercise authority, through a social welfare system set up by the civil state, and civil law is the law that men make for themselves. Those people living in the Mesopotamian area that we're talking about is what we call uh, modern Iraq today, which dominated the region everywhere. But it didn't dominate Israel as it came out of Egypt. It dominated them for 400 years when they were in Egypt. But when they came out, Moses was teaching them another way. He was freeing them from the state of bondage which they were in because they depended upon the social welfare system of Egypt, the free grain of Egypt. And therefore, they were obligated to pay in by law. They could be forced to pay in by law. The more children they had, the more they owed by law. So a lot of them began to abort their children because they couldn't afford them. They couldn't afford to have children and still pay their tally of bricks. And so they were aborting their children. I mean, most abortions have nothing to do with rape or incense. The vast majority of abortion has to do with people can't afford them, or they think they can't afford them. I can't afford them and, you know, get a new car. Somebody was telling me a new, new, uh, was it a Dodge diesel? Over a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Wow. Of course, it's not worth any more than it used to be. It's, your dollars are worth less because you don't have all your gold is in the golden calf. So anyway, and you're back in the legal captivity that is created by the civil state when you depend upon the civil state for your welfare. You've become merchandise again, just like Peter said you would. Just like Paul warned that you would if you didn't practice pure religion. And now Moses is going to teach them to practice pure religion without the turtle dove of the goddess of Sumer and Babylon and Mesopotamia. And that's, that's what the turtle dove is all about. Now we do see this similar, never spelled the same as we see in Genesis. 
it's spelled differently, but it's spelled differently several different places in different contexts in different uh, places, as, as well as the young bird. So if we're trying to look at this deeper meaning to overcome the sophistry of false religion, and we've dealt with a lot of it. We talked a lot about it. And like I say, we have an article up on breaches, our article up on fringes, article up on naked, our articles up on religion. Religion is not what you think about God. It is what you do, which is exactly in accordance with the doctrines of Christ. It's not what you say. It's not what you think you know. Guys, that you think you're saying, Lord, Lord, that you believe in Jesus, but you're actually, what you're doing, you're a worker of iniquity because you're coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other, which Christ forbid. And if that's not the doctrine of your minister in your church, you need to start looking for the church established by Jesus Christ, his church. Because his church, that's what his church preaches. It preaches that you take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You don't take care of one another through the turtle doves of the goddess of fertility, of Sumer, of Nimrod, of Pharaoh. You are the gods of Rome. Now, the gods of Rome, originally, like I said, they used free will offerings, but eventually they went to forced offerings, and we've gone through that whole history. And you go back in our recordings. You can hear all of our recordings on, you know, uh, your phone or your computer as podcasts. Uh, we keep putting them up every week. We'll put up a new one or two new ones or three new ones. <laughs> and... Every one of them has a pearl in it. But we scatter those pearls out. <laughs> There's been lots of pearls on this show so far. But are you, it's only a pearl, it only has value to you if you see it and, and act upon it and start gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to do what Christ commanded. Take care of one another through charity. So the, this word turtle dove is, is translated from this tov uh, vav resh. Uh, but like I said in Genesis, we see the vav tav resh rather than tav vav resh. They, he, he changes. But we also see this, you know, vav uh, tav resh in Jeremiah 8 7. And so we we can look at Jeremiah eight seven and, and and talk about some of the things that are in Jeremiah that are unique to Jeremiah and what Jeremiah is talking about. Uh, there is another word, Gimel Vav Zayin uh, Lamad, and sometimes shortened up to Gimel Zayin Lamad. That they simply remove the. You know, the, the Vav there. And is said to mean a young pigeon still in the nest. And that's why we see it translated as young pigeon. And it's given this strong number, 1469, which is said to simply mean a young bird. That's the way it's defined. Uh, but this gazel is the same letters as we see in 
as Strong's 1497, which supposedly means to tear away or seize or plunder. So, what is it, what is Moses really talking about? Is he talking about a dove and a baby dove? Because it doesn't necessarily mean pigeon, it just means a baby bird. Well, we know that there are rules in modern Judaism and, and which are probably misinterpreted where it says you, you can't kill the mother and the baby on the same day. So if, if you were to sacrifice a female goat, you can't sacrifice the baby goat on the same day. But it probably has nothing to do with that. But because they think it does, they didn't want to say a baby dove. <laughs> so they made it a baby pigeon. <laughs> so that nobody would think that they're killing the mother and the, the, the mother's baby on the same day. But it really doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with this goddess, this dove goddess, this welfare goddess that the New York Times is telling you about that takes care of the needy of society that you're supposed to be separate from that and not be a part of that and to be torn away from that. Because if you're not torn away from that, you'll be torn away from God. You'll be seized away from God. You will go back into the bondage of Egypt. And, and we can go and read in Jeremiah 48, 28 and, and see that there's another word, dove, mentioned there in another context. And it's completely different. It's uh, it's from the word that is uh, Yadvav Nun He. That's nothing like the word we see translated dove or turtle dove. And that, that's why they call it turtle dove, maybe, when they translate it. But it really does It has to do with the social welfare system of Sumer, social welfare system of Nimrod, the social welfare system of Babylon, the social welfare system of Egypt that brings you back into that bondage of Egypt because you're eating that which was forcibly taken away from your neighbor. But this other dove that we read about in 48.28, it's actually a dove. <laughs> it's actually, that's actually what the word actually means. They're actually talking about the bird. And he's advising the people of Moab that they need to humble themselves and leave the cities. And one of the interesting things, if you, if you understand this, this word cities, it's actually the word, the Hebrew word for cities actually means, in the definition, terror. It's, it's something to be frightened of. Why? Because cities are what men create. I mean, who created the first city-state? Cain. It's the civil law that men create for themselves. Why did Abraham leave Ur? Because it was one of these cities. It wasn't because it was a lot of buildings in one place. It was because it was a civil system of law. The civil system of law encourages through men making laws for themselves to bring people back into bondage. Especially when you use the civil authority to create your social welfare. When you use the men who exercise authority to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. 
the city becomes a terror, uh, a, a place of anguish, according to the definition. And of course, that's that's what Sumer became. That's what, and evidently, that's what was going on with the people in Moab, that they were becoming this this other place. So if you if you started reading Jeremiah from uh, verse twenty, Moab is confused or confounded, for it is broken down. Howl and cry. Tell ye it in uh, Arnon that Moab is spoiled. That's you guys. You don't own your land. You don't own your children. You howl and cry about the taxes getting higher and the the inflation and things cost more and I can't afford the food and my food stamps don't go so far and my social security doesn't go so far and, and it's getting worse and worse and there's no end in sight and it's getting worse and worse and what am I going to do? And you're howling and complaining because you're confounded because you don't know that you haven't been a Christian. You haven't been a Jew. Following Moses, you might be something but who calls themselves a Jew. But if you're not doing what Moses said, can you really say that? And he goes on to say in verse 21, and the judgment is come upon the plain country and upon the cities of the land of Moab, the civil systems that you created for yourselves, far or near. The horn of Moab is cut off. Horn, again, is something that juts out. We've talked about that before, light. Uh, coming out, the horns of the altar, the light of the altar that shines out in every direction. It's, it's representative. It's, it's a metaphor again. But the horns are cut off. There's no light coming out of the people. And his arm is broken, saith the Lord. And make ye him drunken. For he magnified himself against the Lord. How did they do that? He created a system of social welfare that exercises authority one over the other, which is contrary to what the Lord said to Moses and the people of Israel and contrary to what Jesus Christ as Lord said. Now, you may still say Jesus is your Lord, but if you've magnified the men who exercise authority one over the other to provide you with your benefaction... With your social welfare. You've magnified yourselves against the Lord. Against Christ. Moab also shall swallow in his vomit. And he also shall be in derision. So where else do we hear vomit talked about in the scriptures? The pig will return to its mire. And the dog to its vomit. What is that all about? We have an article up. Go look up the mire <laughs> at preparingyou.com and you'll see an article on it. That's what we've done. We've gone back to the bondage of Egypt. We've returned that way, which we should go that way no more. O ye that dwell in Moab, leave the cities and dwell in the rock and be like the dove. That's not the dove we see back there, the turtle dove, the goddess of the, the dove goddess. That's that Yana. And he says, make her nest in the sides of the holes. It says, holes mouth. And that's the end of that quote. But we'll take a look 
at what those words actually mean because that's such an awkward translation. I can't even imagine they got away with that. But the actual words there are different. But we'll do that when we return. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're we're looking at this quote in Jeremiah about Moab. And uh, it's saying, leave the city, leave the terror, leave the the system that exercises authority one over the other. The cities like the city of Nimrod, the city of Cain, the, the city of Babylon, the city of... Those were cities. Now, it's not the fact that there's a lot of buildings. It's not the fact that there's a city. Uh, we only have one incorporated town in uh, Lake County. It only has 300 people. <laughs> And they've actually debated several times about unincorporated <laughs> because of the disadvantages of being in an incorporated town. But uh, the reality is it, what they're talking about is where people bind themselves like they did in Sodom and Gomorrah, like they did in Cain's city-state, like they did under Nimrod, like they did in Ur. And they bind themselves. How do they bind themselves? Well, they create a social welfare system where they have to pay in. And their social welfare system is taken care of by the civil authorities, by the power, exercising power of the civil authorities, the men who exercise authority one over the other. So you could have a, a city that did not do that, that took care of the needy still through charity, through religion. And the civil authorities simply, you know, took care of the sewer system, <laughs> whatever. And uh, maybe the street. If you lived on a street, you'd have to pay in for the maintenance of the street. But you could do that yourself, street by street, block by block. You wouldn't have to do that through the the mayor's office. You could do that. And what would happen is that if you didn't take care of your street, nobody would come down and none of the businesses would prosper. <laughs> and, you, you know, you would have potholes on your street and you would suffer the consequences of not contributing. And, and your property values would drop until somebody came in who was industrious, who wasn't a scavenger, who wasn't selfish, and they bought up your property and then they made it a beautiful place again. So everybody would be responsible for their own street, their own block. And they would come together, they could come together in associations to build a sewer line. You know, and everybody pay in and choose to pay in. And if you don't pay in, you don't get to hook up. I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. But when you create that city-state where the social welfare of the city is operated by men who exercise authority and force the contributions of the people, you know what will happen? You'll have to watch out that you don't step in feces on the way to the airport. Human feces on the way to the airport. And you'll have to, you have to step over the drug addicts and the, and the, the crazy people in the streets because the scavengers will be everywhere. There'll be a vulture on every lamppost. And they will be getting a government check. I, I can't tell you how many times I've come across the fact that supposedly charitable outfits, charitable systems, 
are only supplying the only real charity they offer they 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 put out that we're helping all these people but what they're doing actually is providing an address so that all the people that come to them can get a social welfare check there was a Jesus group i don't know i probably get the name wrong but it was back in new york and and i think also they're located in chicago and everything and they suppose they do all this help for the homeless they bought buildings and they renovated those buildings and made little tiny apartments. But what they're really doing is getting everybody signed up on welfare and rent subsidies and any type of government handout. They'll still have common kitchens and everything. But all the money that they get that comes in, comes into them. And they are making their whole church uh, charitable system funded entirely by the men who exercise authority, by the civil authorities, by the social welfare systems of FDR, LBJ, etc., etc. Which is what Cloward and Piven were doing, trying to get everybody signed up for social welfare. Get, get them signed up, get them on there. Their intention was to break the system. The, these, uh, I don't know, they're Jesus freaks or what it was a Jesus movement. Somebody I knew was actually in it and got caught up in it. And then I've done some research. I think we have some articles on it at preparing you. But uh, their goal is just to make a living off of the poor people's social security or welfare checks. That that same guy that wanted to give us that turkey and everything, and I explained to him that he did eat meat. He ate the meat of his neighbor. He ate the blood of his neighbor. That was the thing. You were to eat meat with blood in it. That's symbolic. It has nothing to do with blood soup. <laughs> Whatever they call it. Uh, <clears throat> it has nothing to do with that. Eating the blood, the meat with blood in it, is eating meat that was forcibly taken away from your neighbor. <laughs> That's what it's about. That's what it's a metaphor. Now, there might be some health benefits depending on where you're getting the animal, because sometimes diseases are carried in the blood. But that's one of the things about the metaphors that Moses used, is that you could take it two different ways. So, just before the break, we were, you know, I read this uh, Jeremiah 48, and I was down to, was it uh, verse 28? O ye that dwell in Moab. Leave the cities and dwell in the rock. I should have looked up the word rock. And be like the dove. Well, of course, who's the rock to us? Christians, real Christians. It's Christ, the rock of Christ, who said, don't be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors. So that's that's my rock. What's Who's your rock? Don't tell me he's Jesus and still do what he said, Jesus said not to do because that would make you a worker of iniquity. And he's just going to tell you, get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity, because you've been coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority, pretending to be a Christian and saying, Lord, Lord, in your churches and singing all the songs and getting all the emotional feeling, but not being real Christians. But he says, be like the dove. Didn't use the turtle dove word. Used a different word. Maybe he means be like the Holy Spirit. And and then they put in there that maketh her nest 
in the sides. That's the way they translate it in the King James. It's a little different in other books. Uh, quite different in some. I'm sure it's really different in the PETA version that it just came out. <laughs> but anyway, the word that is put in there by the translator. It doesn't exist there. That's why it's in italics or in brackets. But this word that says, maketh her nest in the sides, that word is actually translated probably more often beyond. So it said, like the dove who maketh her nest beyond. And it says, the holes, mouth, the holes, mouth. Like the holes is possessive. Uh, but the word there that we see translated as holes is also, it actually means pit. It's actually defined as pit. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's given the Strong's number of 06354. And it's translated pit eight times. It's translated hole once, and that's here. But it's also translated snare. And of course, David told you, Paul repeated, quoted David, that what should have been for your welfare has become a snare because it's from the dove goddess of Sumer. It's a social welfare system that exercises authority one over the other. It's not the Holy Spirit's system of welfare because the Holy Spirit is beyond that. You know, we had the pillar of fire come between us and that, and the pillar of fire said, look, if you don't take care of one another through charity, you will end up back in the bondage of Egypt. If you don't build altars of clay and stone, living clay and living stone, that takes care of the needy of society by your free will offerings that you entirely give up, and given to the hands of men who you believe to be charitable men. And the moment you choose to think that they're corrupt, you can stop giving to them. Because you have no obligation to give to that individual. Because you don't live in the cities of Sumer. You don't live in the city of Cain. You don't live in the city you might live, you might be in the city, but let's put it this way. Let's put a different preposition. You don't live of the city of Sumer. You don't live of the city of Cain. You don't live of the city of Nimrod or of Babylon. You live at the city established by Christ that does not exercise authority one over the other because we're forbidden to do that. We can only exercise charity and love and forgiveness. But for you to see these metaphors, and the word mouth is actually just an opening, and they're talking about the opening of a pit, opening of the snare, because that dove lives beyond the opening of that snare. He does not eat of the welfare that is a snare that David talks about, that Paul warns us about. That Peter says will make us merchandise. That Peter says will curse our children. But you out there who are of the world, 
who do eat at the tables of men who exercise authority one over the other, who do engage in the covetous practices of Sumer and Babylon and Nimrod. You want to come out of Babylon? Here's your chance. Do what Christ commanded. Gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. If you won't do that, then you're not taking the advice of Jeremiah to Moab. You know, in verse 29 he says, We have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceedingly proud. His loftiness and his arrogancy and his pride and his haughtiness of his heart. Uh, somebody sent me uh, a video. He sends me a lot of stuff. He, I, he should be in the network. I know he listens to the program all the time. He sent me one and it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the name. It was a, oh, Strange Fire. He sent me a video. Strange Fire Conference. Had uh, one of these more famous preachers, uh, MacArthur, I think, in it. I think that's his name. And he, he, he says some good stuff. I mean, if you're reading the Bible constantly, you're bound to say some good stuff. I mean, even, even the people at PETA who've now retranslated the Bible. <laughs> They have their own version. I think they call it the book. I thought that was already used. But uh, uh, it's I, I only know a little bit about it. It's pretty bizarre. But uh, don't don't buy it, even on Amazon. <laughs> so, but um, the, he says some good stuff, but he doesn't seem to get it. And will he get this message if somebody sent this message to him? Uh, cause I think he has a good heart, but there were a good heart amongst the Sanhedrin that wanted to kill Christ. And they wanted to kill Christ because Jesus was interfering with their system of social welfare that depended upon the exercising authority of Herod to force the contributions of the people and provide the Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect. If he read the and listen to the podcast that we've made that explain that the Corbin of the Pharisees is identical to the Social Security system of FDR. It's identical to the Great Society of LBJ, which you've heard me mention a couple times during the show. Well, you can look up FDR. I was actually in a parts store the, the other day, and, and of course I get on the kingdom while I'm waiting for him to look up and order the parts. <laughs> and I, I, I was... Pointing out, because you know, they were talking about all this gender fluid, fluidity of some of the people, the customers in there. So I just speak up. Everybody hears my voice. And uh, I says, well, this is the same thing going on in Rome, which is why they took the history out of your schools. So you wouldn't see the parallels of your own times. That this transgender stuff is not new. I mean, the operations are more complicated, but they used to castrate men. And somebody piped up, somebody listening, over-listening, back down one of the aisles. <laughs> he said, yeah, they called them eunuchs. <laughs> and they went around and dressed up like women. And they said they were women. And, and they were doing that in Israel. And the zealots, they didn't like that. The zealots would actually stab them and kill them. But Christ had a better solution. Gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, start taking care of one another, and stop depending upon the free bread of Rome, the free bread of Herod, 
And the free bread of the them. Would MacArthur, if I'm getting his name right, if I have not, I apologize. Would he get that? That he should not be sending all the people that go to his churches. There were all kinds of preachers up there uh, on this symposium. Strange Fire was it was called. And, and I mean, I struggled. So they were showing all the other bizarre things that are going on in modern Christianity. But they themselves, they got sound doctrine. But their sound doctrine does not include the fact that Christ said you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles. And they should be preaching to their parishioners that they should not be like the governments of the Gentiles who go to men who exercise authority one over the other to get the benefits they receive daily. They should have the daily bread, the communion of Christ, which is based on charity and love for one another. That would bind their parishioners together. It would empty out their churches if they presented that sound doctrine of loving one another through faith, open charity, instead of through the force, fear, and fealty of the snares of the cities of Babylon. Are they, and they have a choice before them. MacArthur has a choice before them. Will he speak the truth and risk emptying out his churches to bring the people back to the way, the way of early church, the way of early Christ, Christianity, the way of righteousness, where you take care of one another through charity, through free will offerings, instead of through force? Or is he going to keep going to the city-state to provide free bread, free education, free welfare, free, so that you have people in your church that do no more ought for their parents? Because the state's doing it. Through Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. You're, you're not doing it. We could do this. People say, well, we couldn't do that. It's cost too much. It's too expensive. Everybody's too dependent upon it. You're just making up excuses just like the people who made up excuses for Christ. Ah, yeah, I'll join you later, Christ. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. I got all kinds of reasons. I got to go do something else. No, you need to come out of the cities of Sumer, the cities of Babylon. But you need to come out with the intention of doing the way. Doing the will of the Father, of taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Through the Corbin of Christ, not the Corbin of LBJ and FDR. But anyway, I was mentioning the parts store and, and I, and I, I got to the point where I mentioned the fact that everything, all the problems that we're having are the result of following the ways of FDR for a hundred years. And, one of the girls at the counter, sweet girl, hard worker, really tries. But she said, who's FDR? (laughs) She said, what's FDR? (laughs) The guy behind there, he did know. You know, but that, I don't blame her. I blame the educational system that they don't know that. And he he said right away, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. (laughs) So, but, uh, the reality is, is that, they took us away from Christ. That, that's why we've been delivered back into the bondage of Egypt. The table of FDR is a snare. What he meant for welfare has become a snare. And according to Polybius, if you continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them at the expense of others, your neighbors, 
you will continue to degenerate into perfect savages, finding once more a monarch and a king. Polybius was right. He wasn't a Christian, but he was born 150 years before Christ, so give him a break. I think he would have been a Christian. <laughs> I think. I, you know, I can't guarantee that. I can't guarantee that you'll become a Christian. Because you're only a Christian if you follow the way of Christ. If you're not doing the way of Christ, you're not following Christ. If you're not following Christ, are you really a Christian? If you're following the ways of Constantine, <laughs> that that mixed milk and meat. Because <laughs> Constantine set up a church where he jump-started it with millions and millions and millions of dollars and aid that he could provide because he took it away from somebody else by force. He killed his partner. He killed all his partner's family and he confiscated all his wealth. So he had a lot of money to give away. Augustus did the same thing. Julius Caesar did the same thing. And we've gone the ways of the pagan temples. We call them Christian churches. Wow. We need to come out of the wickedness of Babylon. So anyway, I don't know if I even read uh, verse 29. We have heard the pride of Moab. Oh yeah. And exceedingly proud is loftiness. Will MacArthur have the humility to see the truth? When Jordan Peterson sees my uh, one man symposium commentary <laughs> on their symposium will he see the truth will Ben Shapiro see the truth will Dennis Prager see the truth will the other Jonathan and the other guys see there that we cannot go until we deal with the Leviathan in the room the system of social welfare that exercises authority one over the other until we come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start providing for one another through faith, hope, and charity. We will not be free. We will be cut off. Gozen is the word that we see there. Cut off by that little pigeon. <laughs> the Mesopotamian city was named Gozen. That's actually what its name was, which means cut off. Because if you were of those Mesopotamian cities, of Sumer, of those systems of Sumer, of those tables that should have been for your welfare but are a snare, you will be cut off from God. And your eyes will be darkened. And you will believe a lie. But if you're beginning to put the pieces of this puzzle together... It's not really all that complicated. It's just willing to see the truth. You won't be cut off. You'll be cut off from them. You won't be able to get their welfare. But to tell you the truth, their welfare isn't really what it should be. The same word. We'll go into it probably in the afternoon program. But the same word that we see. Uh, Gimel. Uh, Vav. Zayn. Nun. You know, it's spelled sometimes a little bit different. Sometimes Gimel, Zan, Zan. That word is translated shear or sheep shear. But if you look it up, it only shows up, you know, actually it's also translated cut off or cut down and shave and all kinds of things. But if you look at the different places that it's used, many of the places are kind of, it, it seems kind of peculiar. You know, like Lebanon. He went to shear his sheep. 
And he found out that his daughters had stolen the idols that uh, he had, the silver idols that he had. Why, when you go to shear the sheep, do you find that the idols have been stolen? <laughs> because it's not really shearing the sheep. Laban was setting up a system where he was literally a landlord, what we see in the Middle Ages, where you were a tenant on your lord's property. I mean, we can see, clearly see that that's the way he was developing his relationship with Jacob. Is that Jacob was like a tenant farmer working for him. But Jacob was meant to be free. So when he went to shear, he wasn't shearing sheep. He was shearing, collecting for his, the taxes of all those people that were under his authority. And so that when he's hauling them into wherever he's keeping his silver and his treasure, he found out that my daughters have been in here <laughs> and taken this silver depository away with him. These these common purse. We'll see you next week on Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.